Good morning. Trust that you all had a great Thanksgiving and many reasons why God has loved us more than we could ever count. Uh, thank you again for the privilege of being here today, uh, in spite of the circumstances of the memorial service for Doug's mother, and I know you have been praying for them and for many others as well, who are having the opportunity to trust God in many things this week. So, with your permission, I'm going to read our secondary scripture first. It's Galatians chapter 4, and it, it sets the stage for what we will be reading and looking at closely. And so let's listen to God's Word from Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 to 31. Here is the Word of God. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Our other scripture is from Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through 16. Before I read, I want to share with you one of my home responsibilities that I have in our house, and that is I do the grocery shopping for our family. So every Saturday morning early, you can find me at the Giant Eagle on Waterworks if you're ever looking for me, okay? And so there are two benefits that I have found to doing the shopping. One is my wife makes out the list, but if I see something that I like which is not on the list, I feel free to go ahead and get it because I know I'm going to like that, okay? The second benefit was it has actually helped me in developing persistence in praying. And for this reason, every Saturday when I drive to the Giant Eagle, I pray something like this, Lord, please make sure that they haven't moved the bread aisle to another part of the store. Because when they move the food from one end to another, it confuses me, and I am just wandering around, and that short trip becomes a long day trying to find all those items. I have found out one thing in my short experience of grocery shopping. There's one thing that is not moved. It is always there. And I find it at the cash register every time, and that's the tabloids. The National Enquirer and all those like them are always right there while you're waiting at line. So you can look at the 
strange headlines, look at the weird pictures and the bizarre behaviors that they are describing with the intent that they will grab your attention and you'll pick one up and buy it and take it with you. Genesis chapter 16 could possibly be seen as one of the original tabloid stories. It is somewhat bizarre in the way that we normally think the Word of God should be. There are at least four main characters in the story we're going about to read, and I want to introduce them to you. The first one is a runaway and abused slave. The second one is a husband and wife, so it's two people. The, the husband is the leader of the Christian faith, of the Jewish faith, and recognized of, the, of Islam as well. And, and so when we read about this husband and wife, we read about things that seem like, what, well, that doesn't seem to match up with who they think they should be or who we think they should be. Because we read about them, and what we read is it includes a mistrust in God's promises of infidelity, of jealousy, of envy, of physical cruelty, of emotional abuse. That's tabloid material. And then the fourth character is, we will just for now call him the uninvited but welcomed guest. And so let's listen to the word of God. Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar, And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked at me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. And you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. 
He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Barad. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, when we read this at first, it is a difficult story. We ask, Lord, that you help take the blinders off of our eyes, the cultural blunders that we face, the sinfulness of our own hearts. Help us to see your hand at work in the lives of the people we read about, but more importantly, may we see your hand at work in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Many of you have already heard this story many times, and truthfully, it's not an easy story. It is not one that we normally think we would find in the Scriptures. We know that God has promised through Abraham, that his, through his descendants, that there would, the promised one would come. And so with the promise of descendants is the eventual meaning that they're going to have children, it's going to be a son. And so we're now 10 years after that promise was made, and, and, and Sarah and Abraham are kind of getting together, but Sarah seems to be leading this idea that I'm not so sure God is able to keep his promise. And so how, why don't we work on a plan that we can kind of speed up what God wants to do? I'm not getting any younger, and so if this is going to happen, it's got to happen right away. So I've got this creative way of thinking how we can do this. So, so Abram, you know I have this servant. Her name is Hagar, and I'm going, to, I'm going to give her to you for the night, okay? And so treat her as your wife, and when she conceives, if she conceives and has a child, she'll also be my child, and, and we look at things like that and we say, oh my goodness, that is, that is not even close to what we think should be a part of God's word as far as what is going on. But the reality of it is when we read in the English what is going on, it is it's much softer. It is much softer than what really was going on. Because you see, in in those days, in the culture of that day, what Sarai did in giving Hagar to her husband to be her replacement so she could have a child was, was perfectly legal. It was fairly common. It wasn't unusual, but it was contrary to God's design as to how things were going. So we need to kind of be alert that even though we read something in the Bible, it doesn't always mean that God approves of that which we're reading. And so we also begin to understand is that a lot of English translations in the past, and ours today is a little bit better in the ESV, but in the past they would translate Hagar's role as like a, a maid or a maid servant or even a handmaid and something like that. And, and we begin to get the ideas that, 
Oh, she's somebody who comes in and does the laundry and does the dishes and cleans the house and takes care of things around and, 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 and she's paid by Sarah and Abraham for her work. But that's not what she is. She is not just a servant, but she is a slave. And so as a slave, that means she's the property of Sarah. And so that's why Sarah could say, when she has a child, that child will then become mine. Okay? She is my property. And then later on, when she goes and she says, says to Abram, she goes, you know, I, 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 our translation, I, I gave him in your embrace. All right? And, and that's really, really a soft way of saying, I, I, put him in, I put her in your lap. Or I placed her between your legs. And now my, my slave, she is now pregnant. And things are different between us. When she looks at me, it's a lot different than what it used to be. Most servants, when they come before their master or mistress, they, they are lowly, they are meek, they keep their head bound, though. They, they say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. They do what's going on. But obviously, Hagar was sensing because she was now carrying the child of Abraham that she had a right, perhaps, to look at Sarah a little bit differently. And so there was a little bit of contempt going on there. And Sarai was feeling it. And she had to imagine just psychologically, every time she saw her, she mean to think, I gave her to Abraham. And this is how she's treating me. And so, so she's, she's a suffering woman. And so then she comes back to Abraham and says, you did this. And I think what she might be saying, the first time you ever listened to me, you did this. And the most amazing response of all these things Instead of Abram looking at his wife who was suffering and realizing the havoc that was created by going outside the bounds of God's design, his response was, what's, what's the big deal? She's a slave. She's your slave. Treat her as one. And so when our translation said that Sarai treated Hagar harshly, those are the same words that later on were used when the Hebrews were as slaves to the Egyptians and they weren't making bricks fast enough. The exact same words. So what this means is that Sarah, in treating Hagar harshly, Sarah beat her. Sarah beat her. And then we read that Hagar fled to actually save her life. Those are just six verses. That's tabloid material. You would think the Jerusalem Enquirer would be floating that everywhere at that particular time. And so we, we, need that, we need to struggle with these things. And some of our struggle that we have, and quite frankly, some of the struggles that people who we would like to come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior, who are reading the Scriptures for the first time or, or think they understand, what's, they will come back, they'll come back with stories like this and say, I'll tell you what, I, what about this one, Ken? 
tell me, how does this fit in with what you believe? You know, when I read the scriptures, I, I can't figure out why that's in there at all. And, and I look at them and I say, well, I, I think I can appreciate the, the confusion that you have, but also I think you're come at it from a wrong way. For the majority of people who have questions like that, and quite frankly, I had somebody this week who came to me exactly like this, talking about stories like this and saying, there's no way I can believe in the God of the Bible if this is the way things go on. I wanted to say to them, I said, I understand your confusion, but you're reading it wrong. You're coming with a bad idea. You're coming with misconceptions that you come with the idea that the stories of Scripture are stories about people who do good things, and by doing good things, God will bless them. And so we try to follow the examples of those in the Scriptures who do good things so that when we do good things, God will bless us too. And then we read a story like this and we say, wow, that makes no sense whatsoever. I'll never follow that God. When the reality of it is, what the story that we read today is a reminder constantly that the stories of Scripture are God's intervention in the lives of people like Abraham and Sarah and like me and like you who are messed up people and oftentimes we can confuse with what God wants us to do and instead of us doing something and God owing us, the Scriptures are written to tell us God has done something for us and we owe Him. And so when we approach it that way, as it was written to be approached, we see God at work in the midst of the lives of those we read about, and we see him at work in our lives too. These are our heroes. These are our heroes, and they have fallen. Well, here's a couple things that we can learn from our characters today. Hagar became a runaway slave. I understand that. She was being beaten. Okay, she was on loose. However, as a runaway slave, the best thing that can happen to you is that you will never be caught. But in the process of never being caught and killed, you'll always, for the rest of your life, be looking over your shoulder and wondering, who's following me? And the worst thing that can happen as a runaway slave is that you will be caught and you will be killed. So neither one of those options are that good, but living is probably better than the other. So she ran away, and while she runs away, we read about the uninvited but welcome guest, whose description we'll talk about a little bit later, who came and began to have a question and answer period with Hagar. And so he said, the question was, Hagar, where you come from and where you're going? And the answer was, I'm coming, I'm running from my mistress, Sarai. And then the very next thing that the uninvited but welcome guest said was, I want you to go back. And if I was Hagar, I would say, didn't you hear anything I just said? I'm telling you, you could probably see the bruises on her body. Uh, you want me to go back to that which I'm running from? There's no way I want to go back to that's where I want to go to. And I can understand if that's how she's feeling, but we know a little bit different because we know the end of the story. We read the next verse after that, and here's the reason why. You go back, Hagar, to your mistress because of this reason. I am going to multiply your offspring. And in the culture of that day, with the family unit being so much more important than the individual unit, if you ever had a promise that your offspring were going to multiply, that would be similar today, winning the publisher's clearinghouse $10,000 a week for the rest of your life, plus someone you name after you die. It would be golden. It would be everything that anybody would have wanted. And so we learn our first lesson. 
the first lesson, which is a hard lesson, and Jerry already alluded to it today, is that the blessings that God has for us do not always come in easy packages. Sometimes the blessings that God has for us are difficult hardships and things that we need to endure until we receive the blessing of God. Our our response might be, I can't do that. I'm not going back there. I already made a fool of myself once. I cannot do it anymore. But when God speaks and when God addresses our hearts and when we believe that what he's commanded us to do is to follow his will, we need to remember it's not always a soft and an easy road. Let's look at Sarah and Abraham. What we would hope would be the heroes are really the instigators of a lot of the trouble that's going on in chapter 16. We know that Sarah was without child. Now, different words that are used in different times of cultures uh, make, if those words still are alive today, we, we, they, they kind of offend us. And so we use different words at different times. And so during the time of when the scripture was written, it, it would not be uncommon to say that a woman who was not able to bear a child, that the word that they would use would be the word barren. And I, I, I don't hear that too much anymore, and that's probably really good, okay? It's a sensitive area, you know? It's one where compassion and, and care needs to be addressed. You know, there are a variety of different reasons why individuals can't have children who want them, and so we, we surround them with our arms of love. But, but in the culture of that day, that when a married woman was not able to bear a child, she was considered a failure. And so for 10 years after the promise, Sarah is saying, it's not working. We can't do this. I'm not living up to what the culture tells me I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not even coming close to the expectations that I have. My joy is not there in my life because of that which I know I'm supposed to do and want to do and am able to do, you would think, and what God has promised to do. But I, I am without child. And so... And so in the midst of that, she began to be influenced by the culture that she was living in, and she began to measure and weigh against, here's the promises of God on one hand, and here's the expectation of the culture in which I live in as another. And, and right now it seems like the culture is telling me this, and God says this, but it's not working anymore, and I'm losing confidence in what God had to say, and uh, I'm, I'm losing my identity over here in the world in which I live, and so i, I got to do something about it. And so she said, I'm going take matters into my own hands and and so she she makes that approach that that when we read about we would say oh how come anybody would do that and so I, I just want you to know that 
I don't think what Sarah is going through is any different than what you and I go through, although it's not usually in the issue of bearing children, but we live in a culture just as much as the culture of her day that makes definitions and ideas and concepts of what successful living is and what honorable living is, and oftentimes they're contrary to what the Word of God says. And when we don't understand or we don't feel like we're receiving the promises of God, we, we become influenced by the culture in which we live in, and we begin to listen to those things and those standards of that day that tell us, this is how we mark you, and this is how we give you identity. Let me give you a personal example. Now, when I give you this personal example, I'm going to guess, I'm going to include some of you in what my example is. I want you to know I'm not blaming you if you're in that shoe, Okay? I don't think anything has done wrong what is done is wrong. It's it's my problem. It's my problem. Today's the first Sunday of Advent. Christmas is coming. Christmas means Christmas cards are coming. Okay? They don't come nearly as much as they used to, but they still come. When Christmas cards come, every once in a while, what do you also get in the Christmas card? You get the family Christmas newsletter that gives the report of that family for the whole year, right? So every time I read one of those, remember, this is my problem, not yours, okay? Every time I get one of those letters, what does it say? The husband got a promotion somewhere during the year, okay? They put an addition onto the house. He's a chairman of so and so many different boards. He's well respected in the community. Everything seems to be going well for him. The wife is a member of 13 different volunteer organizations where she's the head of all of those things, all right? In the meantime, she's also written a book, about being a good mother and a good wife, all right? The children, one of them is now in a prestigious Ivy League school, halfway through, almost finishing their bachelor and moving on to their master's in two years. They sent their summer overseas in some mission group organization serving the poor, and their youngest one in high schools all stayed in the band, all stayed in soccer, has all kind of friends. The one thing when I read letters like that, they've never said, but I'm sure they also need need to include, and we don't have a weed that grows in our garden. All right? Now, those are my problems, okay? Because when I read a letter like that, I say, oh my goodness, I am so far behind. Okay? I am not close to what, I can't even, I can't even imagine doing the first sentence of that letter let alone the whole letter. And so I read stuff like that, and I talk to Rosie. I said, I said, can you imagine this? Kind of, what is wrong with me? All right. And so I've been invaded by a cultural view of how I get my identity, and it is completely contrary to identity that is found in the promises of God. So Sarah is no different than any one of us. Whatever affects you, Whatever part of our culture challenges you and your identity, we are in the same boat that Sarah's in. Sarah said, I cannot wait for God any longer. I'm going to do it my way. And really, things got bad, didn't they? They really got bad. We look at Abraham thinking that perhaps this will be our answer. When Abraham, in verse 2, I believe he said, he looks at it and he says, Abraham, listen to the voice of Sarah. I, as a husband, I think that's a good thing to do. Okay? Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. However, I was, different commentators were, were, were telling me in these last couple of weeks when I was looking at this, he says, almost all of them said, you know, this, this, is, this, is, this, is, the, this is the phrase 
that was attributed to Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, it says, Adam listened to the voice of his wife. And it's not trying to say we, we should not listen to our wives' voices. I don't, that's not it at all. What they are saying is that Abraham is falling just as fast as Adam was falling. That Abraham found himself in the same position as Adam. That although he had received promises from God, is that he was beginning to shift his identity and his sense of purpose and his hope to other things. And the road was becoming much more bumpy and much more difficult along the way. So much so that the Apostle Paul wrote about this. He understood. He goes, there were people of his day that in their culture were saying some things that where one finds their identity. Oh, there were those who were saying believing in Jesus is really good. Believing in Jesus and adhering to all the commandments of the law and making sure others do that as well is even better. And Paul in his letter to Galatians is just, he's just fed up with all that. He goes, he's, he's, he just goes crazy when he talks to him about that. And when you read the first couple chapters, you understand the frustration and the anger that Paul has. And so finally, the argument that Paul keeps hearing from all these people who claim those things, they keep saying, but we are sons of Abraham. We are sons of Abraham. And so Paul needs to remind, okay, you're sons of Abraham. I know that. You should know this. Did you forget? Abraham had two sons. One was born of a slave woman and one was born of a promise. And so he says, which one are you? That's what he's saying. And he's addressing the issue of that day. He addresses the issue of our day, of the conflict that we have in our hearts as well as to how we follow God. And so he says, allegorically, they represent two different covenants, the covenants of works through Hagar and the covenant of grace through Sarah. And so, which one are you? Are you a God, is your approach to the blessings of God through receivement, through grace, or to use Doug's word, accepting God's acceptance of us, or is your approach to the blessing of God through achievement, what you build in your resume, and how you look at yourself? And so the answer comes in the uninvited guest who we know is described as the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord. Not a angel. And we know it's a special one. We are convinced it is the Lord himself because one of his first words after he says to to Hagar to go back, he he says, I will multiply your offspring." You know, he didn't say the Lord told me to tell you this. Or here's a message from the Lord. He says, I'm going to do that. Angels don't have that authority. God does. And later on, Hagar was able to say, I've seen him. I've seen the one. He hears my cry of affliction. And I will call this place the place where God was seen. 
later on, centuries later, there was also another young woman who gave birth to a child who was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one whose men hide their faces, he was despised and esteemed him not. There was a time and place in history when this man was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Now, I'm not saying that Ishmael and Jesus are the same. There are significant differences. But both of them were young men and older men of affliction. And both of them were people who were not received well by those they knew. And both of them cried out to God at different times in their life. And we know that on the cross, when Jesus cried out to God, the answer was silence. And when my friends would ask me, well, why, why, why was God silent on that day? I come back to chapter 16 of Genesis. For on a day, he was not silent. And he was silent at Calvary and not in chapter 16 because of this particular reason. Neither Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, Ishmael, or anybody else you ever want to dream of are worthy of removing the wrath of God for the supposed achievements of our lives that call ourselves first and not receiving the grace of God. But only Jesus was capable of doing that. And so when the, his cry was met with silence, that means the justice and the love of God was satisfied. And it also meant that you and I can cry out every day, and he will hear our cry. What is it we do when we hear the cry of God? When we hear the cry of God, we receive by grace what he has done for us and nothing more. And sometimes we become confused. When we do nothing to receive it, we oftentimes think, well, then there's nothing more I ever have to do. And I would venture to say that's wrong. And scripture and things that I've learned in this past week from this scripture have been very helpful for me. Because, you know, there's certain things that I look at that I just never thought of before. Perhaps you have. Hagar was a woman in a man's world. Hagar was a slave in a free man's world. Hagar was an Egyptian in a Hebrew world, as we read the scriptures. And so she was at the bottom of the totem pole of all of those places. And yet God had a compassion and a care and a love for her that he went to find her and to make himself known to her. And it says that when she went back, you got this sense that she went back simply because she had seen the Lord. And if she goes back because she sees the Lord, 
What does that mean for us who knows that he has died for us? And so I think it means this. We continue in a period of thanksgiving, right? We are thankful for what he's done. We are people of gratitude. Our hearts are open. We rejoice. For he has given to us that which we could not get on our own. We could not earn. We could not deserve. We oftentimes resist. And even when we have it, we sometimes don't appreciate how we've been rescued. And yet he continually intervenes. In the same way, he continually intervened in Abraham and Sarah's life. And it's not because of anything that they had done. He says, I am doing this because I love you. I love you. And I will continue to love you. But what do we do? I get a sense that God's asking us to look for people who have been oppressed and are afflicted and are suffering injustices and are exploited for a variety of different reasons. People who are emotionally and psychologically and financially and family-wise and business-wise and work-wise who are, who are at the bottom of the totem pole right now and have no place to go. That have tried to give all their lives to achievement instead of receivement and find that there's no hope in that at all. And if God's gift to us is knowing what he's done on the cross of Jesus Christ, our gift back to God must be finding those people in our lives who need to hear that same message. And so perhaps the best gift that we can give anybody at Christmas this year is finding those who are trying on their own to make their identity. And all along we know God is saying, you're mine. I love you. Come here. Who are, the Christmas, who are on your Christmas list this year? Neighbors, family, co-workers. Who are those who God wants us to give the best gift of all? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the reminder again that you love us more than we deserve. And what we do this day is a response and gratitude for receiving your Son, Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Savior. May we give that gift gladly and joyfully. In Jesus' name, amen.